Pray with me. Thank you so very much, God, for what you have done for us in your great love. Send Jesus for us to uh, convict us of our sin and help us recognize our need for a Savior and a Lord. We pray that you would give us wisdom and insight now into your word, into very familiar verses for us. Help us to know even more what they mean, to know you even more, and to live accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For those of you who are visiting here, every Sunday, at least since July 24th of 2011, so that's four years, every Sunday we have closed our worship services with the same two verses from Colossians 2, 6, and 7. I picked them four years ago because I love what they had to say about how we can know Jesus and continue to walk with Jesus. Now, they weren't my favorite verses when I picked them, but they have since that time become my favorite verses. I want to put them on the screen for you. You should know them if you've been here for a while, all right? There will be a test afterwards, after the service, at the very end. Um, But I want to read them for you first. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So for those of you that have been coming here regularly, what have these verses meant to you? Uh, I'd love to have an individual conversation with each of you and just hear what they've meant to you. For, for me, they've meant a lot. I feel like, for me personally, it's helped me understand how I can better walk with Christ. For us as a church family, it's been helpful even as we've had discussions about who we are and who we want to be to talk about these verses and to think about what God wants to do in us. And even for my family, it's been fun. My kids have really latched onto these verses. And even my three-year-old Anna is beginning to learn how to say them, right, Anna? We're we're working on those. You're doing pretty good. But it's been fun to see the transformation that that God does in us according to his word. In Hebrews 4.12, we read that the word of God is living and active. And and that's true for any verse in the Bible. Uh, But I have most certainly seen it to be true for these two verses here. And what I want to do today, even though they are very familiar verses for us, can you believe that I have never actually preached a sermon on these verses here? Can you believe that? I mean, we we know them so well. Uh, But I thought it would be a good idea for us to take a more intent look at these verses and, and to examine them and to see what God has for us in them. So not just becoming familiar with these verses, but letting God speak to us through these verses that we know so well. Uh, But before we jump into these verses, I just want to give a little bit of the context of the book of Colossians. So the Apostle Paul wrote it to the believers in the city of Colossae. Now, there was a guy named Epaphras who brought the gospel message to the people in Colossae. And it says in Colossians 1.6, All over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. So they heard the gospel, they received it, but then just like might happen anywhere, there were some problems. And specifically at Colossae, it looks like there were some false teachers that tried to steer them away from their devotion to Jesus Christ as Lord. So part of the corrective for that then was that the Apostle Paul, and we read this in Colossians 2.5, wanted, them, wanted to, for them to have firm faith. And as part of that, he wrote this letter to them telling them what they could do if they wanted to continue to have firm faith in God. Again, they had received Jesus as Lord already, and now Paul wanted them to continue to grow in him. So that brings us back to our verses here today. And what I want to do is I want to walk through these verses digging into the six key phrases that are in them. 
Okay? So the first key phrase here is, you received Christ Jesus as Lord. And, and let's start off with, with what is probably the most important part of these verses. Jesus is Lord. That's what we just confessed as we took communion, that, that Jesus Christ is our Lord. Now, if you were to ask me, pastor, preacher, what is the most important thing that you could say to us? Well, what, what I would say, not just in this sermon, but in any sermon, is that Jesus is Lord. If we can understand and live according to what that means, I, I, I think that that is probably the most important thing that I could ever try to communicate to you. There's a couple reasons why I say that. I'll, I'll give you one of them now, and I'll hold off on my second one for just a little bit. But the first one is that it has to do with salvation. Just like we read in our communion verse, Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there is salvation in knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. We need to know that. So, so what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? Well, let's dive into that. The, the word Lord has two meanings. And actually, the first meaning is a name. It's the name of God. It's the name revealed of God in the Old Testament. Remember, uh, many places in the Old Testament, actually, it's the, the very, very common name for God in the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, we might expect for it to be the same way that it's, it's the name for God the Father. But something amazing happens in the New Testament. That same name, Lord, is used of God the Son, Jesus Christ. And it's also used of the Holy Spirit in a few places as well. So for Jesus to be Lord, it means that he is the divine being. He is God the Son. We, we might call him the second member of the Trinity. But then also the word Lord, uh, I'll quiz you on this, and I hope you know this. The word Lord means... Somebody say it. Not Savior. The word Lord means... I heard it. Master. There you go. Okay, good. Good. All right. I'm not a complete failure as a preacher. At least somebody got that. But um, the word Lord means master. That, that's literally what this Greek word Lord means. It means that Jesus is our master. And if he is our master, it means that he is in charge. And there's really ultimately only room for one master. Uh, unfortunately, our human nature is to pretend that we are that master. And think about how many people go th throughout their life this way, and think about how tempted we are to live our lives this way, where we would pretend that we're in charge of our own life. Where we're thinking, we're maybe contemplating what God would have us do, but we're also really putting a lot of our mental energy into thinking about and doing what we want to do, maybe at the expense even of what God would have us do. And if that's how we're living our lives, who's our master? That, that is a very real danger that we would go through this life pretending that we are our own master. But it says here that Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, what does that make us? If there's a master, what else is there? There's a servant. Yeah? And, and let me use just a, a, a real piddly little illustration to help describe it. It's like such an in insignificant illustration, but I think it gets at the much bigger point of it. I want you to picture uh, a rich man in a house, and he has a butler. So the rich man is the master, and the butler is the servant. And if this, this rich man says to his butler, I'm thirsty, would you go get me a Mountain Dew? What would the butler say? Should he say, oh, hold on a second here, you know, I just started a game of solitaire, let me finish it up for you. And actually, I, uh, I was going to read a chapter of my book the next, after, how about 
30 minutes, okay? Can I get you that Mountain Dew in 30 minutes? Is that what a butler should do? No. We, we all know that if, if it's his job to serve and the master asks him to do something, that, that he should do that. Well, on a much bigger scale, Jesus Christ is our master and our lives should be taken up with doing what it is that he wants us to do. That's what it means for him to be Lord and for us to be servants. It's a really important thing that we have to to figure out because if we live our lives just simply according to what we desire again what we're showing is that we're pretending that we are the Lord of our own lives but remember Jesus is Lord and if he's Lord that means we should give our entire lives to him look what it says here in Colossians 2.6 excuse me I'm going to hit my button there it says just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord and let's look at that word received now the word received means to embrace And and it means, by the way, more than just simply embracing truths about Jesus, although it includes that. We need to know who he is. But it's not just accepting truth. It's receiving him, all of him. And who is he? Well, he is Lord. Um, In a theological dictionary that I own, it says that to receive Jesus is to have a, a living union with him. And it means we give our whole life to him. It means that we are to surrender any thoughts of being our own master and that we submit our entire lives to him as Lord. You received Christ Jesus as Lord. He is the Lord, and that's how we are to receive him. In John 1.12, it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, that's the gospel message that Jesus died for our sins. We've talked about it already. We were the sinners. That's what we brought to the table. What Jesus brought to the table is that he is our Lord and our Savior and he rescues us from our sin so that any of us who receive him, who embrace him, who believe in him, who give our lives to him, that that we can receive forgiveness and eternal life. And in response to that, that, that's our, our response to the gospel, is giving our life to him, knowing him as Lord. So let me ask a very pointed question right now. Who's the Lord of your life? Again, again, our human nature is to try to pretend that we are Lord. And it's possible for us to go on pretending that way for our whole lives. But Jesus Christ is Lord. Have you received him as Lord? Have you given your life fully to him? So that's the good news. Jesus saves us, he gives us new life, and in this new life we are to continually surrender to him as Lord and as Master. All of that is wrapped up in receiving Jesus Christ as Lord. And that's how we are to receive him. Maybe you didn't hear it that way. Um, Maybe you heard the gospel at first was just simply that you're a sinner and Jesus will forgive all of your sins if you ask him. Now it's true that Jesus will do that. But if that's all that you heard, you missed out on this part about Jesus being Lord. And how are we supposed to receive him? As Lord. So let me say it this way. If you didn't hear it that way when you first received Jesus, you've heard it now. And we can all surrender now. But receiving Jesus as Lord isn't the end of the story. In fact, I would say it's just the beginning of the story. So let's go on to the second key phrase here, which says, continue to live in him. And, and literally, a, a better translation from the Greek would be, walk around with him. That's what the word means. It means to walk around with him. And this is the only command in our passage. That's a little helpful hint for 
reading a Bible passage, look for the commands because that tells you what you're supposed to do. Well, what we're supposed to do here is to walk around with him. But how are we supposed to walk around with him? As Lord. Think about that. If we received him as Lord, as Master, if we gave our whole lives to him and surrendered everything to him, how then should we continue to live? With him as Lord. You see, we must never, ever, ever move on from the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's one of the most important things I can tell you, is that for Jesus to be Lord didn't just mean that he was Lord when he died on the cross. It didn't just mean that he was Lord when you first received him. It means that he is still Lord and Master, and that we are to continue to walk around with him as Lord. So I said before that perhaps the most important thing I could say to you in any of my preaching is that Jesus is Lord. The first reason is because it's for salvation. The second reason is because that's how we're supposed to live the rest of our lives. Just as we received him as Lord, we are to continue to walk around with him as Lord. So what does it mean to walk around with Jesus as Lord? Well, you've heard it said that uh, life is a journey, right? Or life is a highway. Should we sing the song? Anybody want to sing that song here? Uh, they were on to something when they said life is a highway. And, and Jesus himself said something very much like that. In John 14, 6, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. That word way, it means road or path. So which path in life are we supposed to take? It's the path that Jesus has for us. Or even more pointedly, the path is Jesus. Our lives are to be taken up with following Jesus. He is our path. He's our Lord. He's our path. Now think about what that meant for Jesus' disciples. 23 times in the Gospels, Jesus said, follow me. Those who followed him lived their lives with him. Again, think of those 12 disciples. They did everything with him. They went where he went. They did what he did. They became more and more like him as they followed him. And think about that. In any human relationship, that's true. The people that we spend time with we become more and more like them. We had a funny moment with that this week in our house where my, my son, Josiah, said something the way that I would say it. It's like, ha ha, too bad for you, Josiah. <laughs> Take a look at this. This is what you're going to be, you know. <laughs> it's even more true of us, though, as we follow Jesus. And you know why? Well, it, it's the same reason because as we spend time with him, we become more like him. But there's actually something more powerful going on. It's the Holy Spirit. When we receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we also receive the Holy Spirit. So God the Spirit now lives in us to make us more like Jesus Christ. That's our goal in life. That's what God is eventually going to finish in us as he brings us to live with him forever in eternity. But until we get there, our goal is to become more and more like him. And how do we do that? We continue to walk around with him. We're to do life with Jesus. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. And again, we received him by giving our lives to him, by surrendering control to him. We are to continue in that same very way, continually giving our lives to him. Every day of the rest of our lives should show our commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord. It's not that we need to re-receive him every day because we only need to receive him once by faith. But from there, we're to live every day, of, every moment, really, of the rest of our lives showing that Jesus is Lord. So think about that. Is that happening in your life? Would 
Can, can you look back at the last week or, or even just the last day of your life and say, Jesus was Lord of my life and I was surrendering to him. I was following him. Now, if you're like me, you, you fall short at points. But, but hopefully, what we would do if we fall short is that we would go back to him and recommit our lives to him again. So where do you stand with that? Are you still following him? Do you still want to be in constant contact with your master serving him, living for him? The theologian David Garland was speaking of people who follow Jesus. He said, Jesus requires that their conduct be consistent with his lordship. So how are you doing with that? Do you rejoice in the fact that Jesus is Lord? Uh, let me say two things personally about that. First, I would hope that in my life, that every moment of every day, like I've been kind of implying here, every moment would show that Jesus is Lord. I want it to show not just so other people can see it, I want it to show so that God can see it. Jesus gave his life for me. What I want to do is honor him by living the rest of my life for him. Surrendering everything about him. Making that commitment that he is Lord. And when I mess up, I go back to him. And I ask for that cleansing that he gives. And then second, I've come to realize that my life runs better that way with Jesus as Lord. We've all tried to, to live our own lives. We've all pretended to be master at times. How does it go for us when we do that? And the honest answer that I would give now is that my life does not go as well when I pretend to be master. And you know why? It makes perfect sense when we think about it. Um, me versus God. Who is the all-powerful one? God. Okay, we'll have to give you that one. Okay, God gets one, I get zero. Um, who is the all-knowing one? Okay, okay, God will give you that one again. You're, you're up here. And we could just go on and on and on. So if we believe that God loves us and is more wise than us and is more powerful than us, then who's better at being Lord? Come on. Why, why do we ever pretend that we are Lord? Now, I know why. It's because temptations come. It's because we think that we have our own life picked out for us that might be better than the life that God has for us. And in fact, that's what people outside would say, people outside of the body of Christ they would say, you guys are going to give your life up? You're, you're going to give control of your life to God? And truth be told, it is ironic that the way that we receive life is to give our lives to Him. The only way for us to have true life is if we die to ourselves. But that's the truth. Real life, authentic, true life that God wants for us comes as we surrender and submit to Him. Our best life is the life of a servant following our master, continuing to walk around with Jesus as Lord. Okay, let's move on now. The third phrase is rooted in him. This word rooted means exactly what it looks like. It comes from the world of plants and trees. Something that is rooted is hard to pull up. And I know this because every time this year, around this time of the year, my lawn becomes just really a housing place for acorns. So we just have, it's amazing, just a few oak trees, but acorns everywhere. And some of those acorns become trees, and some of those trees grow where we don't want them to grow. And I missed one of them a little while ago, and it grew into a tree. It was growing right at the corner of our house, right, I mean, at the foundation. You could barely even see any space in between the foundation and that tree. And I, it, it came maybe a little bit above my knee, 
And I thought, oh, I've got to get that tree out. So I put my gloves on and tried to yank on it. And how did I do? I did very poorly. That tree was not budging. Uh, and I, I just can't let this oak tree grow right at the corner of my house. So I got out the, uh, the branch cutters and I just kind of dug down, you know, a few inches down as far as I could get and, and snapped the thing off. But, but the root is still there and every once in a while I still go out there and look to see if, if the tree is still growing there because I don't want it to grow there. It, it's amazing if something is rooted, it's, it's really stuck in there. And that's what God wants to do in us. Uh, let's, let's continue talking about acorns for a little bit. Uh, again, because that's my world these days. Um, I want you to picture two acorns that have fallen on my yard. One falls on the lawn and one falls on the deck. Uh, here's a little interesting... Have I said this before? I think I maybe said this at the college ministry, but I'll say it here because I find this fascinating. Did you know that most oak trees grow as a result of a squirrel dying? You know why? Because squirrels are so good not just at burying the acorns that they store away, but they're also really good at remembering where they are and getting them. So usually what happens for an oak tree to grow is that the squirrel buries it and then the squirrel dies so that that seed can grow. Okay, so let's say that that all happened for that one that fell on my lawn and it's in that, that soil ready to grow. And let's say the other one fell on my deck. And you know what happens to acorns that fall on my deck? I pay my kids to pick them up. Uh, I was actually joking around with them earlier this fall. I said, I will pay you a whole five cents if you fill up a bottle of acorns. And, and they're like, really? I'm like, well, yeah, I guess so, really. And I said, I'll make it even sweeter. I'll double it for you if you pick them off of our deck because I really don't want the acorns on our deck. So I said, ten whole cents if you pick up a bottle of acorns. So uh, I think I paid out about $2 worth of money to my kids for picking up acorns off of our deck and our lawn. Um, okay, so... Which acorn has the better chance of growing? The one that fell on my deck or the one that fell on my lawn? Simple, right? We, we all know the answer. Why? Because we know what an acorn needs to grow. It needs soil and water and sunlight. It's, it's not rocket science. I mean, there is some, a lot of science behind it, but we all know those three simple things that a seed needs to grow. And it's not going to get those things on the deck. Now, I'm using an illustration here, and you might say, well, wait a second, we're not acorns. We don't, an acorn doesn't decide where it's planted. Well, that is true. But for us, we either receive Jesus as Lord or we don't. And from there, we have a lot of choices we can make about the environment that we put ourselves in for spiritual growth. And just like we know what a tree, what a, what a seed needs to grow spiritually, water, soil, sunlight, we know what we need to grow, right? We need to walk around with Jesus. And there are things that we know that we can do, and if we do them by faith, God will cause us to grow. Things like reading our Bible, things like praying, things like remaining in continuous fellowship with other believers. Now, none of those are magic pills in and of themselves, but if we do them by faith, what can God do for us? He can root us in Christ. And let me point out something about this word rooted. It is a passive word. So here's a little grammar lesson. It, for it to be passive means that we are not the ones who do it. There's somebody else who does it, and that, that somebody else is obviously God. So think about this. We are to walk around with Jesus, and there are things that we know that are good for us as we do that, just like we would know to pour water on a seed. Uh, we can meet with God in prayer and in Bible study and things like that. As we do those things, God roots us in Christ, and something that is rooted is firm. So that's God's work in us. 
Um, let me read for you some verses from the Old Testament about rooted. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots, sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Those verses aren't about trees. Those verses are about people who trust in the Lord. And those are the things that God will do in us as we continue to walk around with Jesus as Lord. He will root us in Christ. And then moving on, he will also build us up in Christ. Built up in him is the next phrase. And this one also means exactly what it looks like. It comes from the world of building. And from what I learned in my many years of civil engineering, well, many, <laughs> that's what it felt like to me. It was only four. But uh, four years of studying civil engineering, the most important part of a structure is the foundation. And everything else about the building is to be built on top of that foundation. So the foundation needs to be good. And that's what the Tower of Pisa people got wrong. Remember that? It, it looks like somebody kind of tilted their camera here, but not, maybe there's a little bit of tilt in the camera here. But that's the building that's tilting. You know what's interesting? If you were to go and analyze the structure of the Tower of Pisa from the first level up, you know what you'd find? you'd find a good building. The problem with the Tower of Pisa is the land that they built it on. They built it on land that sinks. And the result is you can't go in there. They don't let you go in there. Here's how it works spiritually for us. Our foundation is Jesus Christ is Lord. Everything else about our lives is to be built on that foundation. And as we do that, just like with the word rooted, so also the word built up is passive. So again, grammatically speaking, it means that we are not the ones who do this action. God is the one who builds us up as we walk around with Jesus. Now, by way of application, let me re-emphasize one thing specifically that we can do with Jesus that will help us to be built up. It comes from Acts 20:32. Paul, he was speaking to the, the leaders of the Ephesian church and he knew that he wouldn't see them again. So his last words for them included this. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word of God can build us up as we submit to God in faith and seek to walk around with Jesus by getting to know him better in his word, God can build us up. So let's be a people who are committed to God's word. And I often say it here, so I'll say it again right now, let's be people who meet daily with God in his word so that he can build us up. Let me use an illustration on that. Uh, three years ago or so when we bought this building, we knew that we wanted to remodel it so we, we hired professional builders, people who knew more than I did because I never worked a day of civil engineering in my life. I just studied it and I didn't know what to do. So we hired people who knew what to do with this building. And you know what we did over the, the five months or so that this building was being remodeled? We met regularly with the builders. And so we had weekly meetings where we'd all, all the builders, the contractors, subcontractors, and us, we'd get together in a room and we'd talk about the building. And then throughout the week, we'd be in contact with the builders because we knew that they knew more about the building and how it would be built up. So we'd kind of tell them what we wanted it to look like, and they were the ones who knew what to do to build it up. Now, with God, He's the one who both knows what the building is supposed to look like and has the power to build it. So what should we do? 
we should get to know his word. He tells us how he wants to build us. So we should be coming humbly and regularly before the God of the universe who has graciously given us his word because as we meet with God in his word, he builds us up. That's one of the ways that we continue to walk around with Jesus as Lord is by listening to him and his word and meeting with him there. Okay, the next phrase here. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And once again, another passive word here. Strengthened, meaning that God is the one who does the strengthening in us. But notice how he strengthens us? In the faith. Faith means trust. And it means that we trust that God has better plans than we do. That gets at the whole issue of lordship again. Who knows best how to run your life? It's Jesus. So we have faith in him. But then notice another part of this phrase, as you were taught. So again, Epaphras was the guy who first taught these people the gospel message, and then Paul wrote a letter to teach them. So think about that. These Colossians, they had two spiritual leaders, and they had one short letter of the Bible. What do we have? We have the whole Bible, and God has raised up an army of leaders around the world to lead his people. Let me say it this way. Christians should be people who are committed to learning the truths of God's word. For it to say, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, implies what for us? Again, it's a passive thing. God is the one who strengthens us. What are we to do? We are to seek out his teaching. We are to put ourselves in an environment where we will hear the truth about God so that God can strengthen us. Now, I realize uh, for some of you out there, maybe a, maybe a really small, small percentage of you out there, a sermon isn't the highlight of your week. Um, I don't understand why it wouldn't be, but, um, but even so, we should seek out good teaching and listen to it. And, and that's not just a sermon, by the way. That might also mean that we put ourselves, perhaps, in a Bible study. Or uh, like the, the men's and women's groups we have here at Cornerstone. We should be regularly putting ourselves in a position to learn the truth of God so that God can strengthen us in the faith. God builds us up according to his truth. Let's get to know him more and more. Okay, and then the sixth and final one, overflowing with thankfulness. Uh, the last three words we looked at were passive, but now we get to an active one again, meaning there's something that we are to do. What are we to do? We are to overflow in our thankfulness to God. When we thank God, we get our bearings straight. When we thank God, we recognize that he is the sovereign one and he is in control, and we're not. When we thank God, we remember that he is Lord, and we are not. We should be people who often go to God in thankfulness. We thank people who do things for us and think about all that God has done for us. He saves us. He roots us in Christ. He builds us up in Christ. He strengthens us in the faith and many other things. We should turn those things into thanksgiving to God. Did you know that lack of thankfulness is one of the first missteps away from God. I love this verse in Romans 121. I don't, it's, it's a really harsh and negative verse, but I love it because it's so instructive for us to teach us, to warn us about how we can uh, not fall away. Romans 121, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. 
but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. The rest of Romans 1 goes on to list a bunch of awful, wicked things that people like us would do if we walked away from Jesus and into sin. What's the first misstep there? They didn't glorify Him as God or give thanks to Him. So if we want to stay close to God, if we want to continue to walk around with Jesus, we should continually thank God for who He is and what He's been doing. And here's a few tips for being thankful. Look for things to be thankful for. Don't just haphazardly thank God just, you know, whenever it comes to mind. Why don't you actively think about things that you can thank God for? And perhaps that's an especially good tip if you're not feeling very thankful. Look for something to be thankful for. Then another tip is uh, start your prayers out with thanksgiving. There's actually two great ways, I think I mentioned this recently, two great ways to start your prayers. One would be confession, but another would be thanksgiving. Wherever you're coming from, as you go up to God, thank Him for something that He has done for you. And then another tip, don't just thank God for what He's done. That's where we should start. But if God has done something good for you, tell someone else. Let's, let's use our mouths to be thankful to other people. Have you ever noticed how often we human beings use our mouths the opposite way for complaining? Think, why is it that it's so easy for us when we're talking to each other to complain? Why is that? I don't get that. Why? Wait, I'm doing it now. Okay. Um, it's so easy to use our mouths the wrong way. Ephesians 5.4 tells us about this. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. How often do you, does your mouth do those wrong things that are listed there? How often does your mouth do thanksgiving, which we should do. One of the clear applications of this is that we have a choice what to do with our mouths and we should use our mouths to give thanks to God and we can do that in prayer and we can do that as we talk to other people. So maybe just put a little... uh, Pretend there's like a little voice recorder next to your mouth this week and it's catching all the positive things you say and it's you know, giving you a thumbs up, and then it's catching all the negative things you say, and it's giving you little jolts in your neck of electricity. Um, don't let those negative things come out of your mouth. God gave us lips so that we can close our mouths, okay? Use them. Um, and let's use our tongues to glorify God. Let's overflow with thankfulness. And then the conclusion here for this sermon. Uh, I just want to remind you of the things that we're supposed to do and the things that God does because there's three of each of them. The three things we're supposed to do, we are to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. That's who he is. He is God. He is our master. We are to receive him as master. And then second, we are to continue to walk around with him as Lord. Every moment of the rest of our lives should show evidence to the fact that Jesus is Lord and we are walking with him. And then the third thing that we can do is that one we just looked at. We are supposed to be thankful. We're supposed to overflow with thankfulness for all that God has done for us. And then the three things that God does for us, those three passive words in here, God roots us in Christ, He builds us up in Christ, and He strengthens us in the faith. Those are the things that God does for us as He molds us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. That's His goal for us. That's His plan. Our part is to know him as Lord and to keep walking with him and to thank him. The people of Colossae were being threatened by false teachers. Our faith is threatened by that as well as a bunch of other things. Think of all the things that would threaten our faith. 
worldly pleasures, evil desires, selfishness, greed, the devil himself. These are all things that are against us in the process. But Paul here, in the power of the Holy Spirit, gave us a corrective. And that corrective is to know Jesus as Lord and to continue to walk around with him. Will you make that commitment today and every day of the rest of your life? I want to close now in prayer. And if there are any of you out there who are just unsure at all if you've ever given your life to Jesus as Lord, you can repeat after me in prayer. And remember, it's not about the words you say, it's about the faith that's in your heart as you talk to God. So this first part of the prayer I'm going to pray today is if any of you want to receive Jesus Christ as Lord, and then the second part of my prayer I'm going to pray that all of us would continue to walk around with him as Lord. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for sending Jesus our Lord, our Master, our Savior, to die for our sins. I now come before you, God, and confess my sin to you. Please forgive me for all of my sins. I pray to receive Jesus as my Savior, and I pray to receive Jesus as my Lord, my Master. I give my life to you, God. And then, God, for all of us, Uh, all of us who know Jesus as Lord, we pray that we would continue to walk around with him as Lord, that we would walk with him in that relationship that you want us to have with him, but also that we would walk with him in that relationship as servants, as people who submit to our Lord. God, help us to remember every moment of the rest of our lives to live with Jesus as Lord. May we overflow with thankfulness as we do that as well remembering all the good things you've done for us and turning them back into praise to you. And God, we thank you that as we do those things that you root us in Christ, you build us up in Christ, and you strengthen us in the faith. Would you please continue to do those things as we continue to walk around with Jesus as Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.